Hey everyone. You know, one of the things that I hear about myself uh, very often from, from friends and people that I meet is like, wow, you've got it all together. You know, you're super confident. You have no problem speaking to people. You seem really knowledgeable. You must feel like really good about where you're at in life. And the interesting thing is, is like, yeah, you know, I've had a cool life. It's been a really uh, interesting ride, good adventure. And I'm really excited and happy about the company and my career. But I also struggle. I struggle as much as anyone else in terms of how I feel about myself, you know, um, where I'm going in life, where I've been. And sometimes that thinking gets hard and I can feel really bad and it can be really tough. But one of the things that I've always struggled with life is who do I share this with? And as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot better at not hiding those feelings with people, but bringing it up in the appropriate way at the appropriate time. And the more that I do that, the more that I find that I'm able to be who I really am, not just at the right moments, but more consistently through all of my engagements. So what we're talking about today is the value of vulnerability. And our guest is going to share his journey about how he has discovered that value and just some great ideas and thinking about how you can do that for yourself as well. So I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All right, everybody, welcome to today's episode. We are talking about the value of vulnerability, and we have our guest, Chris Anthony. Chris and I have gotten to know each other a little bit through interacting over LinkedIn, which has been pretty neat to see you know, the kinds of posts he puts up, the things he talks about, how he interacts with the things we put up. And you know, we decided it'd be great to um, sit down and talk about something that for him has been an emerging area of interest. And um, well, I won't get too far into it. I'm going to let him share it because it's a, it's a great story. Um, for me, when I think about vulnerability, you know, growing up the way I grew up, uh, I grew up, you know, I've got a different sounding name, Aram Arslanian. And I grew up in Calgary, Alberta in the 80s. And it was tough. You know, I used to have uh, kids pick on me and my sister a lot. They would tell us our family were terrorists because they, they thought our name were, it sounded exotic. And I would get into fistfights all the time. So I was bullied a ton as a kid and I learned to fight a lot when I was young. And that was the way I defended myself was fistfights. And as you get older, while you move away from that kind of behavior, society does train us to think that we have to have these really tough exteriors. And I'd say one of the things that I really had to shed as I got older not just personally, but also professionally, was this kind of like wall around me that I'm this like hard dude or hard guy or, you know, someone is like, I take no shit. And actually, that's not true. I'm a pretty skinny little guy. Um, you know, like my feelings get hurt just like anyone else. And I also like what I realized is I was doing a lot of marketing of the idea that I was this like total like, you know, badass rebel dude when in fact I was just as scared or worried as anyone else. And the more comfortable I got with being who I really am, rather than this projection of this like really like edgy, like hard dude, the more comfortable I got in life and the more successful I became. 
So I'm a big believer in the value of vulnerability and really stepping into your true self instead of this projected image of being, um, you know, uh, someone who, who can't be hurt, can't be harmed and super tough. So today's conversation is, I believe, valuable for everyone. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. So Chris, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Yeah, Aram, thank you so very much. It means a lot to have the opportunity to be here. And uh, it has been an interesting ride uh, interacting on LinkedIn together and getting to know one another that way. And, and here we end up in this conversation. So I, again, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to interact with you and share some thoughts on this uh, fast moving topic in my life. Right on. Okay. So to set context, you know, because we, you know, by the nature of LinkedIn, of course, I know what you do, but our, our audience here, some of them are going to know, but a large portion aren't going to know. So please mm -hmm. share with us whatever you're comfortable about uh, yourself around your personal stuff, your professional stuff, what you do and all of that. Yeah, abs absolutely. And uh, I'm going to cut to the chase up front and be vulnerable myself and uh, share this that on June 20th on our or on that date uh, of this year, I will hit the 15 year mark of being sober. And the reason I'm starting with that is that is something in 14.75 years I just didn't talk about. I wasn't really that open about it. And we can we can unpack that as we talk here today. Um, but I want to start with that because this is about vulnerability. And had we recorded this a month and a half ago, probably we would have downplayed it. But I, I think it's important to know and for the audience to know that is listening in is, is that that's really shaped who I am. And, you know, that allows me to be a great family member. Uh, it's helped drive my, what I'd like to think is a successful career in sales and in business. Um, it's allowed me to be aware of being a great student, hopefully a great teacher to many. And most of all, and part of what drives the very first thing that I talked about is it's what it's allowing me to be in service to others. So that's where you're finding me today. I'm happy to talk about any of those topics more that you want, but it is foundational. And as uh, I think it's Brene Brown that says, you know, sobriety is a superpower. It's my superpower, man. That's what, uh, that's what I'm realizing in life. And it's taken me uh, 15 years to realize that. Hell yeah, man. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's an incredible achievement, 15 years of sobriety. Um, you know, based on my background with uh, addiction, uh, I'm a huge, huge believer and supporter in uh, sobriety and awesome. And also from my other side of uh, being a dude who's uh, straight edge and identifies uh, with that as being totally a kind of a cool, a cool little subculture. I'm really into the idea of just saying, you know what, I'm going to reject this norm of society and I'm going to live in a way that's like healthy and positive for myself. So good for you, man. I, I love to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Let's hop into it. And and you can tell us about your, your work stuff as you want to and as that fits in. What I'm real interested in is let's hop into the vulnerability space. Mm -hmm. So my first area of interest, and then I really want to get your take on, is you know, vulnerability at work, specifically to the workplace, has really traditionally been viewed as a weakness. You know, and we hear things like... Um, so-and-so's too emotional or so-and-so lets their feelings get hurt too much or, you know, their personal stuff is too involved in the work world. And also this, this can be a very gendered conversation as well, where, mm -hmm. um, for example, men can get away with uh, expressions of anger where sometimes women are told you're too emotional. So there's a whole gendered piece of this as well. But let's bring it back to a very simple question. Vulnerability has traditionally been viewed as a weakness. Mm -hmm. Where do you think this comes from? I think there's a, a lot of expectation, 
you know, across a number of different roles and ways that, for instance, business is done, uh, the happy hour, a traditional opportunity to wine and dine. I mean, look at that phrase right there, right? Take a customer out and wine and dine them or take them to a happy hour to, you know, loosen the thinking up and just bond over some cocktails. Um, and, and right or wrong, it's just something that has become very much the norm in how a lot of business is done. And, and you know, I've, I've been on both sides of that where, you know, previously up till deciding that I needed to be done drinking, you know, I was that guy. I was the guy who was right there along for the ride saying, oh, what do you mean you're not drinking? Come on, what's wrong with you? What's going on? Uh, but it was also, you know, great to take customers out and potential customers and, and do just that. And so I think it's really, you know, all over the map as far as how it's viewed uh, dependent on certain roles that individuals have in their careers or maybe even life. But it's something that, you know, can be frowned upon pretty quickly if you're in that group that says, no, I'm going to hold off. I'm not drinking. And so it's an active decision. It's something that, you know, as I start to embrace more and more, you know, being more open about it. And now more individuals are coming to me saying, hey, either I want to stop or I'm not sure how to navigate the conversation of being in a business situation where I'm going to actually say I'm not drinking, you know, helping individuals think through that has been really eye-opening for me because now being more open about it's just coming up a lot more often. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I think it's, it's, it's a broad one and it's an important one. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like you, you set up a good uh, lead up into the question. And so that whole idea of, and, and I faced this a little bit in the business world before that whole idea of like, if you don't drink, it's weird, you know? And like, there's, this is part of what I, I've always loved about, about straight edge. It's, it's the, um, it's the reverse peer pressure, right? Mm -hmm. So like in high school and all of that kind of stuff, it's like, you know, everyone's drinking and you get into drinking and all of that because it's, it's what you do as a kid, you know, it's like what all the kids are doing, right? And the funny thing is you think that ends there, but actually it gets way worse when you get older, like way, way, way more intense and peer pressure and, and kind of keeping up with the Joneses thinking like all of that's like really, really intense. And what I always loved about straight edge is this reverse idea. It's like, no, we're going to go over here and create this whole other thing where actually it's totally okay to not do that. And we're going to make mm -hmm. it okay. And, and it's okay with our group. And if done right, that means that as you get older and go throughout life, you can apply that not just to drinking, but just to truly being comfortable with being who you are. And uh, for me, it's been a huge, hugely, hugely beneficial thing. Very specifically, though, to around addiction, mm -hmm. a lot of people, uh, myself included, have been reticent, like hesitant to talk about, about anything like that. And then we also see stuff like people with mental health concerns or any of that really feeling like, gosh, I can't talk about this in the workplace because I'm going to be judged. So when we start like kind of focusing more on the idea of vulnerability for you specifically, if you were to think of like, how did we get to this place where being vulnerable would be considered a weakness? Like, why do you, like, where do you think that comes from in the work world? Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, the idea of projecting confidence, uh, has been overplayed and, you know, mm -hmm. the idea of who you do business with or not, you know, we've masked all of the things that over time uh, that were, were pretty hidden. And it's not only addiction, I think it's anxiety, it's depression. It's a lot of these things that were just meant to be, you know, not talked about or, you know, brushed under the rug of like, yeah, deal with that in the background or, ooh, did you hear about so-and-so or don't talk about this around them. 
Um, and, I, and I think that very much became the norm because it was a projection of power and it was a projection of showing up and being tough like you talked about at the outset. But that's not sustainable. And if you look at just our world today, the idea of this giant wake up happening, this moment of realizing that all is not okay, that there are a lot of people suffering for a lot of different reasons. And if enough people can step up and say, you know what, I've had that challenge. Um, I've been there. If I talk about it just a little bit out loud and that helps one person, that's going to have a compounding effect. And so I think that is that that's one factor, right? So you've got the background of just like showing up and projecting a tough face and just, you know, we're, we're big and we're bold and we, we don't talk about our things that are, are dark passengers, as they call it. Um, and I also think there's a generational uh, equation to this, Ram, in, in the sense that you look at like right now, millennials, and I'm definitely not a millennial. So if you're listening, you're a millennial. I apologize if I'm getting your, your uh, genre wrong. Um, but the idea of New York City now having non-alcohol bars, and I've met more millennials that have said, yeah, I just don't drink. Uh, you know, and the first thing we all go to is, oh, was there a problem? No, I just don't drink. I'm healthy. And you're like, oh, right? I mean, we've kind of lived that. So yeah. I think, too, there's just a, a shift in generations happening where it, it, being healthy and self-care um it's being forced by the situation in the world just in general because of like anxiety, stress, and depression and addiction and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that there's just a, a groundswell from the younger generations that's pushing that upward as well, where it's, it's suddenly a lot more okay to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I, I love what you just said. And it, it really reminds me of something that, um, you know, I, part of what I do on this podcast sometimes is like, I kind of, I, I like to poke fun at, a, at an old boss of mine once in a while, because it was always this, really interesting experience. It was the best learning experience I ever had. I've never learned more from a boss in both really good ways and really challenging ways. But I, I remember I had this boss and I shouldn't say I remember because like I talk about this quite frequently. So I, I always had this, I had this <laughs> yeah. boss that um, I'm laughing as I talk about it because it's become such a part of the story of this company who used to say like, don't ever tell anyone that you're a therapist. Don't mention you're a therapist because it will freak, it will freak them out. And never mention to them that you played in punk bands because they won't like that. And never show your tattoos. And literally, the first week I worked there, people were like, oh, what are those tattoos that you're hiding under that shirt? And they you know, want to ask oh. me about them. And like, hey, you know, like, you know, tell me more about yourself. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a therapist. That's what I do traditionally as a career. Like, oh, my gosh. And then I eventually yeah. come out as a punk band. And that's actually what people liked about me as a coach and uh, as an educator and being in that space is that as soon as I talked about that, it gave people an opening to talk about something they've been waiting to talk about. And mm -hmm. the conversations that I have with people always, all, well, I'd say almost always include something about their vulnerability around their mental health concerns their addiction concerns, their family mm -hmm. of origin uh, stories, how like how they were raised or where they were raised or the experiences they had at a youth has impacted their leadership and the way that they show up in the work world, uh, the traumas that people have experienced and how that informs their reactions to things. Um, as soon as I gave people that information about me that I, that I am a, a therapist and that was my background, it created a total different dialogue that people mm -hmm. wanted to engage in. And my misconception was when I entered into the corporate world that people were going to be very buttoned up and like, oh, we don't, we don't talk about that. And I have certainly come across that. But instead, once you give, I have found that once you give someone 
the clear indicator that it's okay to talk about this stuff with me. They're willing to as long as they feel it's safe. And when they feel it, when they feel it's safe and they talk about it, if you're skilled in the conversation, and so you're not just someone there who's like kind of like, ooh, tell me more, but you're actually genuinely yeah. interested and, and skilled enough to, to be of, of use, even if it's just as listening, that it can have a profoundly positive effect on the individual in the workspace. So I got to ask you, because you mentioned like some generational stuff and we're seeing this shift. Do you think it's a change from generation or do you think that this desire for people to talk about and be vulnerable has always been there? but we didn't have an ability or there wasn't a clear opening to do that previously. So do you think it's something that's changed or do you think that desire was always there to kind of demonstrate vulnerability, but there just wasn't a, a, um, a clear pathway to do it? Um, it's a great question. And I'm, I'm unpacking a little bit the answer to that myself over the last month where I've just really opened up about this, but you know, to, to hone in on the very specific question you asked is, is that I, I think it's always been there. I think there's been a lot of shame. Mm. There's been a lot of fear to talk about it to everything we just talked about of, you know, your great example, your former boss, but, but here, here's what's happening. And this was a couple examples that when I talk about why I'm waking up, uh, that vulnerability is okay. Social media is a really good example. If you go right now on Instagram and search the hashtag sober, you will find a million plus posts. I, I'm sorry, two, almost 3 million posts on there. And the reason I bring that up is, is that and here's what just sort of blew my mind is I, I, I've been on Instagram for a long time. I never looked at that hashtag, but I, I just happened to about a month ago. And here's all these people that are posting their sobriety journey on there as public as it could be. And, and, and I've talked to a few of them, right? I mean, I have a friend, she's, she's two years in. And I mean, she just put it all out there and she's in business. She's very much in a, you know, much of the same world that I'm at or in. And she's just two years in and here I am 15 years in and I'm seeing all of these individuals, this guy, he's trying to stay sober for 30 days and he's putting every day in accountability out there. I mean, how, how amazing is that, right? That here's somebody who is just putting it all out there. And so I think there is a, a shift because, you know, back to your question, I think there's a lot more mediums now to communicate. I also think there's more awareness, right? The idea of uh, it, it's everywhere now, you know, people's uh, challenges are, are very visible and very instantaneous 24 hours a day. So now when someone says, uh, you know, I'm an alcoholic or I'm, I'm an addict or uh, I'm really struggling with depression, maybe in some ways we're a little numb because it's not a shock factor like it probably once was. It's just out there. So, you know, I think part of that has given me some additional courage that I knew I wanted to talk about. But when I look at individuals just, again, back on social media, for example, that are being so open and so vulnerable to anybody, I'm thinking, what am I waiting for? Like what, what is, if, if I just help one more person, that was literally my goal. If I just updated my profile on LinkedIn to say the number of years I was sobered, will that help one person? Yeah, it has, but it took me 15 years to get there. So we're just yeah, in an interesting yeah. time where I think it's starting to crack wide open, at least for me. Um, and it, it, it certainly is a, a conversation that's, that's definitely out there more and more. And, and what do you think? What's your take on that? You're, you're seeing a lot in your role. Well, what I think is that people always wanted to talk about it, but yeah. people have been terrified to do it. And I think people want to talk about it because if you don't talk about it, you get stuck in the idea that there's something uniquely wrong with you. 
Mm. Right. So like you got people who live with, let's say, mental health concerns or people who live with addiction concerns or both. You've got the two intertwined or um, people who are living with um, a past trauma um, or an existing trauma, people who are living in uh, challenging or abusive relationships, any of these things you've got. You've got these. And when you live in your own little cone about it, that fear, anger, anxiety, worry becomes directed on yourself. And you start believing there's something uniquely wrong with you instead of being, hey, this is a shared experience. And literally millions of people are experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. Yep. So I think that desire to share and talk about it has been there. Like, is it me? Am I wrong? Is there something wrong with me? People want to go out and be inquisitive and learn and, and kind of like prove to themselves that they're not these uniquely flawed people. But... I believe that whether right or wrong, um, and, and I do think it, it did exist actually quite profoundly, that there was a cost to being vulnerable. And uh, if we look to historically, you know, if people talk about how they feel about things or talk about being an alcoholic, talk about having mental health concerns, how that would impact their relationships. And in fact, let's be quite plain. I, I don't want to say it, it might have been like that. It was like that. Like people mm. were labeled as crazy or, you know, you know drug addict or addict or this or that. And that still exists today profoundly, but not as much as it does. And I, I feel that people have always wanted to talk about it, but their fear as the fear of the repercussions of doing that has prevented them. I do also believe that there's much clearer and easier pathways. So first of all, like our ability to access information about these things and that you're not alone in these spaces, we can find so much, so many resources online um, we can find resources in our community, whereas before you would have had to go like a 12-step program or a therapist. And you, know, in some cases, you would have been paying out of pocket for this kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. there'd be the shame and stigma of accessing them. Um, so there's the uh, availability of information. There's the online community of seeing people modeling behavior about talking about these things. And I'd also say in the work world, it's been cool. Um, I, I have a little bit of a mixed thought on it, but it's been cool to see companies and organizations like openly embrace this kind of discussion and openly, openly embrace discussion about mental health and addiction and these things. Um, when I say I have a mixed space on it, um, just like anything, uh, anything that previously was kind of a taboo subject that no longer is a taboo subject. Many organizations are going to go where the benefit to them is. And so, for example, if we look at things about the um, about mental health and addiction, you know, companies mm -hmm. celebrate that now and, and talk about it and very thoughtful of talking about it when, you know, the, the right dates in the calendar tell them to, to so. But 20 years ago, that wasn't happening and they wouldn't have done that if it wasn't beneficial to them. So it. I, I, I like that we have the shift, but the shift has only happened not because companies are leading the way, not because companies are like, you know what, we should do this thing. Yeah. Um, for, I'll say Ben and Jerry's is a great example of a company that actually has been leading the way. But companies tend to follow movements and movements are, are created by people. And it's people who choose to say no more of this silence and to break the silence. Mm -hmm. And so when you said earlier, it's uh, if I help one person that magnifies um, the voice of that person and that person, and that person, that's what creates real change. And that's what's given this desire to talk. It's what's given people the pathway now. Does that make sense for you? It, it it makes perfect sense, and and 
I agree with you, uh, you know, and, and I think that one of the big takeaways that I've learned through just being more open here, um, that's taken a long time to get there is, is that you can't do this alone. Mm. You, you, you can't, you really can't. And, and I'm somebody who always has to do things the hard way. And, you know, we were just talking about staying quiet about it. And if you stay quiet about it, or you're not taking action to at least talk to someone else, Here's what happens, and I'll give you a really good example. Uh, You know, a couple years ago, I was at a dinner in Tokyo, and it was a business dinner, and it was a really cool moment for me. We had some really senior executives at this meal, and, you know, I I felt really cool. Here I am sitting in Tokyo, and we just had an amazing meeting with uh, some Japanese counterparts and, you know, some U.S. counterparts, and at the the other end of the table, this guy yells, Anthony, why aren't you drinking down there? across a table of 15 people, right? Just like, and I just kind of waved and he's like, no, no, what's going on? You got a problem with drinking? How come you're not drinking? Have some sake. And here I am in front of this whole table, my whole moment of like, wow, I'm in Tokyo and all these great things, like really put me on the spot. And it was, it was an awkward moment, but it was also a moment and, and we got through it. I mean, it was fine. I just played it off and everything was cool. But my point in sharing that story is, is that, it only in that moment for the wrong reasons made me feel shameful that I didn't drink and that I had to like bring felt like I brought the whole meal down because of that moment. And it probably kept me quiet for a little bit longer. Right. And I wasn't back to what I led with, which is you can't do it alone. I really wasn't talking to anybody about that. And so I think the more to your point, it's more exposed, content's more available, learning's more available, but you got to talk to somebody, right? You got to, I don't, anybody, anybody you can reach out to just to have a conversation. If it helps you, it helps one more person. Um, that I think will continue to crack this wide open. But that was a you know big moment for me where I realized you can't do it alone. Um, you can get help any way that you want, but you got to get in the conversation. You got to start talking with somebody else that can guide you through that process. And no matter how that looks. Yeah, I love that, man. All right. So you have really become more and more comfortable with being vulnerable in recent years and more specifically, very recently. (laughs) So when we talk about, when we talk about the value of vulnerability, so we start with the idea that there has been a perceived value or perhaps real value of uh, projecting confidence and being invulnerable and like, I got it no matter what. So actually I'd say it's not a perceived value even because that I think historically people have been like, well, that person is so like, wow, they can do anything, all that stuff to actually create a little bit of a different narrative that we're actually vulnerable people. What's the actual value? Because, you know, you and I can pontificate and be like, oh, it's good to be vulnerable, this and that. Let's talk from a business perspective. What's the actual value of vulnerability? Um, I think, I I think there's a couple words that come to mind. One is courage. So the fact that you can show up and speak very open and vulnerably about yourself, I think is a different conversation that helps you stand out Mm -hmm. right to everything Mm -hmm. you just talked about with you sharing it at work and there, you know, you shared, uh, uh, we're very open with your coworkers that changed the discussion. I also think it shows self-awareness that you understand how you're wired, you understand how to manage yourself and carry yourself. And I think that projects a different level of confidence than someone who is all smooth edges 
uh, and, you know, says all the right things. Uh, if you compare the two, in my opinion, and maybe I'm biased because I'm on the other side of it, but I think that vulnerability and that courage to show up and show your self-awareness and what you stand for, and also more importantly, what you won't put yourself in a situation for, mm. I think that's a, a different way of showing up. And that actually uh, projects a lot more I don't want to say power, but I think it projects a lot more uh, opportunity to stand out and potentially be more trustworthy, but also just show that you're somebody that is is going to be there because they, they figured themselves out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you said confidence, right? Because uh, there's the idea of like assumed confidence versus real confidence. Mm. And, you know, when I was a little younger, I had a assumed confidence. You know, I used to, uh, you know. I think given the right, the right kind of conversation, I would talk about things that made me seem a little bit more fierce than I am. Right. Cause this idea of being fierce. Yep. Um, but when I got more comfortable with being vulnerable, um, it was real courage instead of assumed courage where I could talk about like screwing up and like feeling alone. Like there was great things, amazing things that came as a result of that. Um, and it helped me step into more real confidence instead of assumed confidence. And I, I think like real confidence doesn't come from doesn't come from projecting yourself as being invulnerable. It comes from projecting yourself as who you are and showing that you mm -hmm. can navigate all of your different selves successfully in the business world and be who you really are. Uh, yeah, I I really I like that story about the the fired piece, and I think too. And again, this is maybe just me getting more mature in life, but come to find out. Come to find out everybody, and I do mean everybody, has something that is a challenge in their life. Mm -hmm. There's nobody mm -hmm. immune from that, but it's taken me my whole life to get comfortable with that fact. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody's got something they struggle with, and if they don't recognize it now, they're denying it, and it'll come to you in time. But you know, the more in tune you get with it, the more you embrace it and own it, uh, and the more you're willing to be open about it. Um, and, and, you know, not, I'm not asking people to wear a t-shirt. Uh, I'm simply saying that the lesson I've taken here is, is that, uh, to your point, you know, if you can lean into, uh, maybe we use the word authenticity, right? Right. It's, it's really more of the core of knowing yourself and, uh, being comfortable with presenting yourself as the real deal, uh, scars and all. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a different conversation than, you know, a lot, a lot of them that have happened in the past. It was more about masking or skirting those topics. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it's, it's okay to talk about it. Quick sidebar, uh, but, but relevant to what we're saying here that I, that I'd love to share. Uh, I, I, it's really a great gift, but I've had the chance to work with a, a number of uh, individuals from the U.S. special operations community. So these are, you know, like Navy SEALs and others are the top 1% of like the, the military. Um, and I've gotten a lot of learning from them just in some of the time I've spent there. And, and one gentleman in particular, his name's Ty, he told me a great story. And this is really uh, relevant to what we're talking about. But he said, you know, Chris, if you took a, a knife and you, or, well, you don't, we don't have to really do this, but like if you had a massive scar, a cut across your face, directly across your face that was so visible that everybody could see it. Mm -hmm. Everybody, everywhere you would go with that scar would ask you, hey, what happened to your face? What, 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 what happened there? What's wrong? What, what, what went wrong in your life? And he said, you know, you'd have to answer that. You'd have to be prepared with an answer to what happened to you that you have that scar on your face. Well, we all have that scar there, whether it's visible or not. And so his point was, what he was trying to help me think through was the fact that 
because we all have scars, it is, are we prepared to talk about that scar as if it was really there? Are we comfortable sharing how we got these scars that make up who we are? Because they're there. It's just sometimes they're not visible. So I, I, that has really stuck with me. That is something that's really resonated with me, you know, in the last month or two. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think that's, uh, you know, it's this, I got in, immediately got this idea of like a bunch of us all walking around with these scars on our faces. But the idea that being it's like, let's say you got 7 billion people walking around with a scar on their face, then it's, it's no longer a scar. It's just a, a feature on your face, just like eyes and nose and mouth, ears or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, it stops being a topic of conversation and uh, not always, but like, you know, for the most part and just starts being, being part of the accepted self. Um, and yeah. so this is where I want to bring up the idea of like, What's the time and the place for vulnerability? Like, how does that show up? So, for example, the way that you and I are talking about it, someone could listen to our conversation and think, oh, gosh, these guys must walk into office buildings, be like, hey, you know, my name's Aram. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, you know, I have terrible days on Mondays. You know, like I like <laughs> yell and scream at yeah. myself in my head all day long when that's actually not the reality. Like, that's not that's not right. how vulnerability works. So where's the time and place for vulnerability? How does that play into a professional's career? Yeah, I'll give it I'll give it my my best take on it. I think I'm I'm still learning that as well given how recent, you know, what we're talking about is for me being so open. Um but it, it it's not a uh everyday every moment type of thing. I I think it comes down to really being aware of who your audience is uh and, you know, also being mindful of the situation. Um, because I don't think to your point we need to walk into every single room and just project that out there. <laughs> but what I, what, what I, what I do believe though, is, is that, you know, th there's the saying what's happening on the inside shows up on the outside. And I think that how we carry ourselves, how we enter a situation, a human interaction uh, of, of any type. I think when you're, when you know, it's just below the surface and you're ready to surface it, if the time warrants it without hesitation or doubt and very much thinking in terms of being in service to others, mm. I think that that keeps your eyes and ears open for a willingness to help others versus I'm shameful about this and I'm hiding it and I'm going to do what I can to avoid the situation. When you're comfortable being vulnerable, I think you're a lot more open to entering situations that you wouldn't be previous to that. Um, I'm totally cool to go to a happy hour and I'm fine to be there and I'm not going to drink, but I'm happy to be there. Um, I can go other places and be open to talking about it. If it needs to be talked about, I think much more differently than I was before. So like I said, it's not a all day, every day, 24 seven, wear a t-shirt type of thing. But when you're tuned into it and you're self-accepting, that changes your confidence in the room that you walk into and it changes your willingness. And I think this is the most important part to be of service to others and just help one more person. And you're poised to do that. And with that comes an authentic confidence that I think carries you differently as you move uh, around the, this earth. All right. I, I love that. So, and I believe you answered this, but I want to, I want to just kind of underline this. So if we're making the decision to be to try to be more vulnerable and, and to bring that real, you know, all of our, the great things about us and some of our, our difficulties and our challenges and our blemishes into the workspace. Is that an all in or an all out or is, do you turn it on and off? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, 
I don't think there's a perfect answer there in, in my opinion, in my learning so far. I mean, I, um, I think it's based on a person's comfort level. I think you should achieve, uh, you know, in an ideal, what I, what I believe is, is potentially having an always open mind and willingness to share. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, I mean, again, I, I'm weeks, month, little over a month into this whole conversation being much more open. So I, I'm learning my, I'm learning my way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a, I had a chance to be on a, a webinar. I was presenting uh, on a webinar a few weeks ago and I, I talked openly about the drinking thing for the first time ever. And I just, I put it in there about this moment of vulnerability in the spirit of just showing my vulnerability to that, that session. And, you know, later that day, um, an individual I worked with for a couple of years came to me and she burst into tears and she said, I didn't know that about you. I'm the same way. I don't talk about it, but now I feel free to talk about it. And I was like, whoa. I was like, there's the reward. So I'm learning as I go. Um, but so far, so good in being all in on vulnerable because it hasn't failed me yet. And, you know, I look at it this way is, is that if it chases off a, a job opportunity, if it chases off a friend, if it chases off somebody not wanting to talk to me or doesn't like that I'm being so open about it, Oh, I'm sorry. They're probably not meant for my universe anyway, but I'm willing to listen anytime you want to talk. That's where I'm at with that right now. Well, I I love what you just said there because there's a a piece that, you know, as we're looking at vulnerability that we need to consider and I encourage people to accept is that just because we've made that choice doesn't mean it's going to be a fit for every situation. And yeah. In some cases where it is a fit for the situation, not everybody in that world is going to be as comfortable with it as everyone else. And this is around, I believe, around proper expectation setting. Uh, so, for example, I have, you know, like tons of tattoos and everything. Yep. When I go and work in a company, uh, I go and go to a company. Some companies are not going to care at all if I walk in in a T-shirt or a button-up shirt with short sleeves. They're not going to care at all. And some companies are going to care and they're going to expect me to show up in a suit with long sleeves and they don't care if the tattoos are poking out, but they don't, they, it just doesn't work. And one of the things I'd encourage people to think of is, is what you're bringing to the table, a benefit or a distraction. And I'm not asking one to, to mask anything or hide anything, but realize that when you're engaging in more of a, a vulnerable space, it's not going to work for every situation. It's not going to work for every person. And it's really about like looking at the environment who you're with, and then what you're trying to achieve at the moment to pick and choose your spots. And also recognizing that if you choose to be vulnerable with people, there are some people to be totally vulnerable with. There's some people to be kind of a medium level vulnerable with. And there's some people that, of course, you can be vulnerable, but you want to be vulnerable in a very like kind of controlled, focused, specific way. Yeah. And the last thing I'd say about that is there's also a level of you will likely have to manage people. And I'm going to give you an example. I worked with this guy uh, for years that, uh, you know, uh, still a good friend of mine. And um, when I told him that I uh, recovering alcoholic, he got not weird about it, but every single time, every single time we went out, he was like, Oh, you don't mind if I'm having a drink and we could go out a hundred times. And he would ask me a hundred times. And I'd say, dude, you know, I totally don't care. Or if yeah. we'd go out to a restaurant, he'd be like, hey, everyone, like, you know, like, let's think about the drinking. And I'd be like, dude, I know you're just trying to make me feel comfortable, but you're doing the inverse. It's super weird. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, he couldn't stop doing it. He was anxious about it. He didn't know how to handle it. 
And I chose to be vulnerable with this guy. I chose to be vulnerable with Mm -hmm. this group of people. And I had to recognize that part of that was managing some of the reactions around that. And even if those reactions were a bit annoying or, you know, whatever it is, I couldn't get hot under the collar or get mad at that person. That's not helpful. I made that choice, so I had to manage it. So that's some of my thinking. I wanted to, to get your thoughts on all that. Yeah, I, I think you're really touching on something that's so important. And, you know, it's managing people. It's knowing your audience. Um, and and I, I think, too, when you're sharing when you're sharing something so deeply personal about yourself, uh, and I think this is what's scary for people that haven't spoken up is, is that you have to really think through each situation and how you're going to respond to it. And again, when I said you can't do this alone, this is where I'm finding I'm helping a lot of people right now because I'm in sales, right? So the idea of not drinking in sales just seems so foreign. And and one of the conversations I'm having is, is that you are going to enter a situation where you're going to be at a happy hour and, and females, back to what you were saying, this was actually a female I was talking to she said, every time I go to, you know, a happy hour, these guys are saying, Hey, have some drinks and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, how are you going to answer that question? How are you going to handle that situation? Well, I don't know. It's, I feel so guilty. I feel shameful. It's that not only managing people, like you said, which I like how you put that, but it's also managing the conversation. And the more I think, uh, you know, folks like you and I, but also that individuals can think about the fact that these moments are going to happen. They're just going to, there are going to be people that don't get it. And they're going to say extremely insensitive things without intending to be insensitive. Um, The more you can anticipate what you're going to say in the moment and sort of mentally rehearse how you're going to handle that. I think the more confident you'll be in the moment itself. Otherwise, if you have to freeform that discussion, uh, it's painful. You've been there, right? I'm sure that first time you had to talk to somebody and say, yeah, I don't drink. Well, what's the matter? Are you addicted to drinking? You have a problem with drinking? Uh, how do you answer that, right? And so I think the more you know, we and, and others kind of going down this path can help anticipate that conversation, the more comfortable you'll be. Yeah, I, I love to. I love that thinking. And, and I would like to add something in here for anyone uh, listening who's kind of thinking, ah, well, how does that apply to, to what I'm struggling with? And I, I want to be really clear. You know, Chris and I, um, we have a shared experience of, of alcoholism in, in those spaces. Yep. Um, so, for example, what works for, for he and I could be very specific to what we're um, experiencing. And so, for example, people who um, are survivors of sexual assault. Um, people who um, are survivors of racism or prejudice. Um, people who have experienced, uh, you know, any, any kind of like life trauma or, or very, um, you know, challenging life experience that has, has impacted their path. How you choose to be vulnerable, what we're talking about may not be applicable to you. And, and I certainly don't want to position Chris and yeah. I as having the key. But one <laughs> of the things that we can say is that um, being vulnerable actually has huge value, not just for the individual, but for society and for creating that voice of change, um, that okayed space where we can even normalizing the discussion so that other people can talk about it. So it can become a movement. And then we can see these bigger societal changes because no comp, well, very few companies and certainly not society is going to change in any way that doesn't, is doesn't benefit business. And so if we're thinking about how do we actually create these changes in a way that we know is beneficial to business, but doesn't necessarily play into like bottom line dollar and cents. 
we have to create that space. So it is important that uh, both Chris and I put that out there, that this is what's worked for us. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who um, does want to open up conversations that has uh, anything different from us, some of the things that we're saying might work, some of it might not. And I would encourage you to like talk to other people who have been there, um, start that discussion, like get into that space to think how you could add some value. Now, Chris, so much about what you talk about is about helping people. I want to talk about your, uh, your, um, work that you do in the, in the charity world. And you yeah. are involved in something that's super interesting, at least to me. I think it's super cool. What can you t- tell us about your charitable work? Yeah. So I have, uh, two primary uh, foundations that I work very closely with. Uh, one is the uh, SEAL Future Foundation. So I talked about Navy SEALs earlier. That's that's one that I'm um, involved with. And that's really helping individuals from the special operations community move into business world and just that next phase of life. And that's, you know, what's it like to take these amazing skills and backgrounds and how do you translate that into a career outside of the military? So that that's one that I'm very passionate about uh, and donate a lot of time and effort towards. Um, the other uh, is on the musical front or am and uh one that i'm super pumped about as well is uh getting to work uh with my lifelong musical heroes uh this is this they're the soundtrack of my life good and bad uh is uh, metallica has a charity called the all within my hands foundation uh and i help with that and so i run the linkedin site for them and and try to help out in other ways the annual food uh, day of service at the food banks uh that we could do pre-covid uh, and then also just promotion, anything else I can do to help that cause. And it's been uh, unbelievably rewarding to, you know, be a part of a, a band that I've idolized my whole life, um, but get to help with them uh, raising money, which has been, you know, for, for a lot of good and well-being for the community, not only for food banks, but, you know, giving a uh, million dollars plus to community colleges to help uh, welders, women welders to get scholarships that just help them get over that edge. And I would have never dreamed uh, to have that opportunity and, and here I said today to get to work on that. Oh, I love it, man. Of course, you know, I'm a huge Metallica fan. I grew up yeah. on, on Metallica. I'm going to ask you some music-based questions, and I am sure. going to ask you a spice, a very spicy topic Metallica oh, question in, okay. in, in, later on. Later on. You, and you can opt out. You could be like, no comment if you want. That's okay. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that in a second. All right. Let's, okay. let's bring it back to some, some action items, though. All right. Yeah. So if we are thinking about an individual. Who is saying like, you know what, I, I think I can help other people. And, and in fact, maybe even there might be some real value for me as a professional to be a bit more vulnerable and being vulnerable, by the way, doesn't mean you have to tell your life story. It could be that there's some, it's letting down that wall of like kind of like assumed confidence and stepping into yep. like a bit more of who you are. What would you say would be a first or a first few steps into, into demonstrating more real vulnerability? Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a really good question, Ram. And I I think first and foremost is back to what I've said here a couple times is you you, you can't do this alone. So start thinking first and foremost, like as as you're figuring out, hey, maybe something's not quite right here. Maybe my depression, maybe my anxiety, maybe my addiction, maybe my you know whatever um, is something that I should potentially look at more deeply and potentially take some action on. And so. There is, to what we talked about earlier, a ton of resources out there. Social media, I mean, you can Google anything under any topic and you can start to see some different paths to consider. Um, and it could be talking to someone you know that's been down that path and having a, a confidential conversation with them. And I, I will say this, and Ram, I, I think you'd agree with me, is is that like in, in the world and the, the path that you and I have chosen in life now, uh, 
there is confidence, confidentiality in that. And when someone comes to us, it means, first of all, it means the world to us that we get this opportunity to help others. But I also think that there's some implied trust that we're going to listen with an open ear and not just broadcast it out. You won't believe me who called me. So just, just know that individuals that have gone down the paths of solving for something are probably going to be your best bet because they're going to really listen to you and help you think through that process. So I think that's one research, ask for help, look at, look out there on the horizon of who you think could potentially help you and, and have the conversation. Um, my lesson from waiting 15 years to talk openly about this is, is that why didn't I talk about it sooner? It's no big deal. It's no big deal. And now it's helping other people. You're going to be okay. If you talk to someone else and put it out there and again, look at social media, you'll see how many people are being courageous right now. They're putting it all out there and they're getting help and they're getting that attention that they need to take a step. So um, there's victory and small wins. So get a small win, ask somebody for help or ask them about their journey and what they learned and make baby step progress. And I think you'll find yourself on a path to some new thinking that might help you to just get a little better than you are today. All right. Great, great advice. All right. So what about for companies? We seem to be on this, I don't know, cusp or I'm in the middle of it, or maybe not at all in this space where business is being done differently. And mm-hmm. you know, we're in this interesting time where companies are putting out a lot of like statements and yep. you know, the term unprecedented is being thrown around a lot. I, I could live the rest of my life, never hearing unprecedented ever again, like the word right. unprecedented, but seemingly we're in a space of business where there is a shift from the old ways where Mm -hmm. there is going to be more openness towards uh, real discussions about sexism, more openness about real discussions about um, uh, mental health and addiction, more real conversations about racism and not just the conversations, but the change. So it's seeming as if we're there, but like many things, there can be good intention and then a failure for action once the heat's off. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. from your perspective with what you know, and I know you're only speaking, it's you and me, we're, we're just two guys, two guys speaking about yeah. this. So you're not speaking for anybody, any company, anything. Yeah. If you were to give some advice to companies that want to create a real change in their work culture so that true vulnerability and vulnerability that's valuable to business and to people in the business is uh, there, what is a step or some of the steps you think an organization could make to help that happen? Yeah. I, um, so I, you, you said something that's uh, really you know important. I'm going to share actually a little bit about my own organization that I'm a part of. I, I do want to clarify to what you said, right? I'm speaking. So I work for a company called Salesforce. We're 50,000 strong across the planet. And, you know, my viewpoint is my viewpoint. I'm not speaking on behalf of Salesforce, but I I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say this, Ramis, is that my willingness to be vulnerable here, my willingness to be open on LinkedIn about my sobriety um, would not happen if I did not work for an organization that was founded over 20 years ago with the number one value of trust. And so to answer your question, how do companies get better at, you know, managing change, managing, uh, being more vulnerable, managing, uh, protecting all equally. And by all, I mean, every individual, regardless of what you stand for, what you look like, all of that, it starts at the very top and having a leader in a leadership chain of individuals who stand behind that and does it with trust and thinks, of the well-being and business as a platform for change. Again, this is just my viewpoint, but this is what I'm living and witnessing right now. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were, you know, the whole Me Too movement was getting going. 
uh, and you heard about all the companies where uh, there was sexism and there was a lot of just inappropriateness that surfaced, I got to tell you, to be a part of a company where, again, the number one value has always been trust uh, and to already be in the motion of thinking ahead and protecting all equally, uh, that felt pretty good. It felt really good, actually. And I think it's been the opportunity for me, because I've been there for almost 14 years now, uh, to be this open because I can be confident about it. So I think it starts at the top. Now to go back to your question, I think it starts at the top. I think it starts with leading by example and showing up for others. And the more you get in that, that inertia going and being able to show that and look that there's no negative repercussions, I think it'll crack it wide open. I feel my company's very advanced. To what you're asking about, though, I think there's a number of companies where that's not the mindset at the top of the organization. That's not the number one value of trust and openness and caring and taking care of the Ohana or the family. And I think um, we got a different generation coming up that we talked about. And I think that companies are going to pay the price for that if they authentically do not find a way to include everybody in the conversation, regardless of who you are and what damage has been done to you or your race or your skin, any of that. If that's not being thoughtfully mapped out, thoughtfully um, pulled together to create a, a platform of change within that organization, that company's going to die. That's just my my Chris Anthony viewpoint. Okay, uh, very like really powerful. I, I love what you said there. All right, well, we're heading towards the end here. Okay, I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to give you some time at the end to share any final thoughts that you have. But okay. you know, this is one step beyond. It's the Cadence Podcast. <laughs> We're going to talk yeah. some music. All right. Let's you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. I got to ask you a, a very spicy question. You can, oh. you can pass if you want. Okay. Coolest member of Metallica that is not Cliff Burton. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a James Hetfield fan. Uh, mm. I, I've always just thought he was close and... Uh, nothing against uh, the other guys at all. I'm a big uh, James Hetfield fan uh, j- just because I, I love his voice. I love his singing. I love his, his songwriting. And I think Lars is right up there with him, right side by side, almost close second. Uh, but I really, uh, those guys, I mean, like I said, they've been the heroes of my life and they've, they've been the soundtrack to my life, good and bad. So I'll, I'll go with James. Okay. Uh, Jason Newstead. Is he literally the toughest human being of all time for stepping into those shoes that were left by Cliff Burton and then surviving the difficult journey that he had in Metallica? Is he the toughest person ever? I, I mean, and I've never met the guy, so I don't know, but I, I would say that that had to be big shoes to fill it. I think it's pretty well documented that it was, right? That, you know, that, that that's, they've all talked about it, that that's, you know, fill, fulfilling what Cliff was a part of that. Uh, band in that group, uh, what he had to step into is, you know, big shoes to fill. There's no question about it. But uh, I, I, I was a big fan of Jason's and and loved him playing. I think Rob's unbelievable as well, especially with the background of suicidal tendencies and everything else. But uh, Jason, yeah, that I can't imagine what that was like going into that. Oh my god, I get like I, cr- I seriously get like nervous thinking about like how could you step into those shoes i mean at the time it was like a whole context but historically like holy crap all right yeah so let's let's hit some non less spicy questions i i could have gone yeah i could have gone deeper there man but we don't you know we don't need to go we don't need to go too hard okay so you said you're a big heavy metal fan yes non-metallica top three metal records for you 
Um, wow. I, I mean, I, I think Rain and Blood by Slayer, I absolutely <laughs> love. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. uh, an awesome album. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if I if we're going to stick to heavy metal or not. I mean, if I can go outside that. Uh, I love Pantera as well. I think they're pretty fantastic. Um, uh, Cowboys from Hell, I think, is a great album. Um, and then I was just, I it's, it's funny because I've been, and I, I'm all over the place with music, really. Like, I get on these, like, just total sidebars. I've been, like, going so deep on all Glenn Danzig stuff lately, like Misfits and Sam Hain. Like, I've been going down that path as of late, which, you know, this drummer from Slayer, Dave Lombardo, is now playing, I think, with Misfits. So I could be wrong now in the given state, but, like, there's it all kind of blends together. So I've been all over the place with, with music. But, yeah, those are the three I'd probably mention. But which Danzig record are you saying is the best, though? Oh man, I don't know. I, I I'm not going to do it justice. I mean, it's I don't know. It's a hard one to pick. I've got just like this ultimate playlist on Spotify that I've just got an ultimate repeat. So I don't know. Um, All right. Well, let's, it's hard to say. Let's give a shout out to Danzig. Danzig, we're out, we're out here talking about you on a business podcast. Yeah. I hope you know that. Exactly. Shout out to my. Shout out to my man, uh, Nate, who is uh, also a business leader that's got some great Danzig stories. He used to he used to do some work with Danzig in a different life, and now he's in the corporate world. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting cat. Um, so we are rounding up here. So we did take a little little step out to talk about some music, as, as is our, our way. Yeah. But as we're closing off, any last thoughts that you want to share with us on this topic? Anything that you would say to uh, either companies or individuals or just in general around the value of vulnerability? Yeah, I think not only to companies, but also just individuals. And it's it's ultimately, you know, down to the, the person level, um, you know, hitting this 15 year mark and having the opportunity to speak about it so openly is, has been a gift in itself. Right. And I think I've had this great awakening that's unfolding over the last, you know, four to six weeks where being more open, being more vulnerable unlocks all kinds of magic. And in order to get to that place, you've got to take that step and whatever that step might look like in your world, you've just got to get uncomfortable and take that step. And all the times in the world is is right now, I would say, that having, you know, a, a huge network you can tap into. And and frankly, if you're listening to this and you're struggling and want to reach out and talk about it, reach out, right? Like, I mean, the, it's just taking a step and asking for help. And it doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing. It's a conversation. And, you know, to what Aram, you said, I thought was spot on, not you know, what works for us may not work for everybody, but man, if you can just improve a little bit and learn a little bit more and ask for help, even if it's a small ask, just to start the conversation, uh, you'll start, you'll get a win and that win will feed another win and another win and another win. So don't be shy. Don't wait as long as I did to talk about this. It's okay. Uh, and just ask for help. And if, again, one person walks away that heard this and goes and asks for help, man, our job's done here. Because we just helped one person, and I am a happy man. Uh, if two people or three people or even more, even better. But just ask for help. Can't do it alone. Heck yeah! All right. Well, thanks so much. Um, again, we had an incredible conversation with our friend Chris Anthony. And for anyone who's like, "Wow, wow, these guys met on LinkedIn. How's that possible?" Yeah, LinkedIn <laughs> is a good tool if you use it right. If you like, you yeah. know, engage with people, engage in conversations, and and do that. It also doesn't mean that every person who hits me up on LinkedIn is going to be on the podcast. So think about that before you drop <laughs> me an email. Now, 
I, I, I do want to say it took a lot of guts to come on here and to share all of those things. So Chris, thank you so much for all you shared, all your wisdom, all your knowledge, and also for being willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm still on this journey. I don't have all the answers, but you know, we can figure them out together. So with that, everyone, we appreciate you being with us today. And Dave, drop the beat. Wow, that was a great conversation. And thank you again to Chris for joining us. You know, we got a choice. We can hide our struggles. We can keep them inside. And I'd understand why anyone would want to do that. But after hearing this conversation today, after hearing about Chris's story and that real value of bringing that struggle and, and talking about it with people in the right way in the right time, think about how that could change not just your life and not just the lives of others, but the entire world. Being vulnerable isn't about showing people a side of us for our ego. It's about showing people that side of us because there's value to that. Value for us, value for them, and value for the whole world. So I encourage everyone here, if you have something that you believe is important to talk about, now's the time to start thinking of how you can do that. So thanks so much for joining us. And this is One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond. What's that?